we're at the tail end of this series, so we've got one more week uh, in this characters thing. And basically in this series, I just wanted to take a few weeks to kind of highlight some of the characters in the Bible uh, that as I've grown up with these stories, as they've been um, read to me when I, even when I was a kid, and then as I got into school with these stories, there are these names that come up uh, that, that are littered throughout Scripture that we kind of know of, and maybe, you know, if you're walking through Rome, there's a bunch of different names of chapels after them, but they're not, they're not really, like, highlighted, right? They don't have their own specific story. In fact, what they're really good at and what they're known now in the scope of history and recorded in our Scriptures is that they're really good at being support for others. Um, and if you take a guy like Jabez, who's in the, uh, he's, in, he's in the Old Testament, and he's only around for like a couple chapters, he's mentioned scattered through here and there. If we didn't have this little prayer that he did, which is one line, and tons of cheesy Christian books have been written about it, uh, but the fact of the matter is if we didn't have this one guy in this one line, the very trajectory of the Bible would look different. And so, like, yes, that may be his one little pop-up there, but I don't think, I think there's a larger story going on with his life, and I think there's a larger story going on in the parts and the people that he interacted with and actually supported. And I think especially in a city like Los Angeles, we are all walking around, if we're going to be completely honest, like we are the star of our own movie, (laughs) right? And there's nothing wrong with that. You are the star of your own story. Uh, But the problem is there are moments in your life If we're constantly walking around like we are the hero, then there are going to be a lot of moments that we either miss things or even worse, that we could kind of mess things up. Because sometimes, yes, you are called to be the hero in your own narrative, but sometimes you're actually called to help others be those heroes and be those stars in their own story. And if you look through from Genesis to Revelation, we see countless examples of people in Scripture coming alongside others. Almost every parable Jesus tells around a table, by the way, around a table, meaning with friends and with people that he might not always agree with. Around a table, the stories that he's trying to tell, the things that he's trying to convey about this kingdom, this sort of reality that he was trying to talk about all the time to say like, hey, God can be here and now and this kingdom is at hand and we should be talking about it. He would use story after story, and this is very interesting, of people, individuals, they were going out and sacrificing a little bit of themselves for someone else. And doing that out of the goodness of their heart, doing that selflessly. We have the story of the prodigal son, right? That father, if you want to study that, I've done a lot of sermons on that. Um, Those are on the podcast online. If you want to study that, that father had to give up a whole lot of prestige, honor, respect within his community to take that son back, and he did it so willingly. We have stories of shepherds who leave their entire flock, which is a very dangerous thing to do, to go find one sheep. It's story after story after story of support and of help. And in each of these stories, we not only get a character, right, and it might be named shepherd number one, or it might be named whatever, but with those characters, we also get a characteristic. And I think that the lasting thing that we have, if we can learn anything from these stories, are the characteristics in which Jesus puts to the forefront. Because if he's telling these stories, these are the characteristics at the very heart of God that he wants us to understand. That we are called to go and support, that we are are called to help others, and a lot of times that means giving up a little bit of ourselves to do that. 
And that can be very, very difficult. Because a lot of times we can just look at the world, and I do this all the time, I'm the most guilty, as just, it's one of my favorite words in the English language, uh, it's happenstance. Can everyone say happenstance for me? Happenstance, we all know what that kind of means, right? It's a coincidence, right? This is just a happen, it's just, it's just happening. It's like two things, it's happening and I'm standing here. It's a happenstance, right? There's nothing special about this moment, it's just happening to me, yeah? And I think that's a very dangerous way to walk through the world. I think God calls us to walk through the world where, yeah, there may be some happenstances, but in a lot of other ways, you may be just right there. The difference between a happenstance and actually responding to what God is doing around us is happenstance just happens to us when we're actually responding to what God wants to do. We are now involved in the story and we're happening to it. We're placing ourselves within it and saying, I think there may be something going on here that's deeper. It's deeper listening, right? But there are different ways in which we can interact with that, and honestly, some of them are not great. So I'll tell you two stories. There's, there's this um, phrase when you play music, it's called playing the room. Ko did it amazingly this morning. A good musician, a good actor, a good artist will take in the situation and will respond to it well. Good art is not about showing up and pushing it on other people. Good art is about response. That's why if you're walking down the promenade or you're in downtown or you're in one of those places and there's someone yelling at you on a megaphone, that isn't ever considered good art, right? We're not listening to podcasts of people that are doing that. We're not trying to buy their records. Because there's something inherently in us that just goes like, that's not, they're just not paying attention to the world around them in a way that makes me want to pay attention to them. Right? And in that, as we move forward and as we figure out what our characteristics are and the characteristics that God wants us to really envelop, sometimes there are certain characteristics of ourselves that God does not want you to help and that does not want you to to enter into, right? I have a, a cousin that just got engaged, actually a cousin-in-law, um, and I have this like fantastic ability uh, to put my foot in my mouth um, and say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's, it's all about playing the room again, right? But and I have just, I like, I like to talk, and so I'll talk, and eventually I'll talk and I'll talk, and I may leave a conversation going like, ooh, should I have said that? And I'm sure we've all had that moment. But more often than not, in my extreme case, I'll recognize it right in the middle and be like, ooh, I should not have said that. And then I don't ever really apologize. My face just kind of goes blank, and I'm just like, I'm going to go feel bad for two hours after this, right? So I have this ability. And uh, this, uh, this individual, our cousin, had texted um, Chelsea and I with this whole plan for their engagement, right? He's going to propose. Uh, to the girl of his dreams, uh, and we were supposed to be, you know, in a certain place at a certain time, but under no circumstances can you tell anyone, okay? Like, this has to be kept under wraps completely, and don't blow it. And I think most of the rest of this text message was just aimed towards me, saying, like, Josh, do not blow this for me. Keep it under wraps. And I'm walking my dog around the neighborhood, uh, and they live in a different neighborhood, but all of a sudden I'm over near, like, Sidecar Donuts, which... You can see all sorts of people at sidecars. It's a, it's a wonderful experience. Anyway, and there's sidecar donuts, and uh, who pulls up but uh, this cousin, this one that doesn't know that they're about to be proposed to, uh, and they pull up in their car, and I'm, I'm just about from right here to right there, 
Uh, and she looks me dead in the eye and I knew, I was like, I can't hold this in, like something is gonna pop out. So I no lie, and this is, this is a perfect example of playing the room, I stared right past her, put my headphones in, and acted like I did not see her at all. And I'm here to tell you, God told me to do that. <laughs> it was a good decision because I would have blown it. It wouldn't be playing the room, right? Playing the room, the perfect example of that is when we have a crisis and someone has gotten hurt and we're in a random place and we yell out, is there a doctor in this place? And if someone comes out and says, yes, I'm a doctor, all of us get universally relieved because we realize here's a person that knows exactly what they're doing in this situation. And here's a person that spent a large chunk of their life learning to help people in this manner, right? And for a lot of us, it's not as easy as just the doctor thing. Like, I don't walk into most rooms and people scream out, is there a pastor in this space? <laughs> that would be kind of strange. But for each of us, whether it's a career or job, whatever it might be, we're, we're actually called to lean into those characteristics of ourselves that are unique and beautiful because we may be called to unique and beautiful circumstances that may simply be a footnote in someone else's life, but we have no idea how uniquely profound that footnote might be to them. That you might be helping people and walking through without ever understanding or getting praise for that, but that's not why we do it. We talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, and Andy actually pointed out this, and she's a, a family therapist, so this is something that only her eyes would catch. But she actually said, you know, my favorite part of that, uh, about that Good Samaritan parable is, is that God doesn't ever actually call him to just stay with him forever, right? What makes the Good Samaritan good is actually this crazy fact that he picks this person up, pays for them, says, Help, I'll be back with more if you need it, but then he leaves the story, right? It is not the parable of the lingering Samaritan, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And sometimes goodness means we just need to show up for that half a second and play that room and understand how to jump into that, right? Because if not, you're actually running from who God wants you to be and made you to be. And that's such a tragedy because the world needs more of that. The world needs more of exactly what makes you kind of quirky and weird and fun. The world needs that because that's who God has truly called you uh, to be. And we know that. This is a verse in Hebrews that I think speaks great to this. Uh, it says, now may the God of peace, who through, all, uh, through the blood and the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that the great shepherd of the sheep will equip you with. Sorry, next slide there. Is that it? Yeah. Well, let's just say, equip you with whatever you need. No, <laughs> we'll equip you with exactly what you need. Okay? The good news of the gospel, the good news of this God that we love is that it's a God that's actually with us the entire time that's holding our hands through this stuff and not leaving us alone. You are never designed to do this stuff alone, and that is why I still believe that the local church is the hope of the world. It's because in spaces like this, we can actually come around each other, be in community, and we can lift each other up in places that maybe we have deficits. But we're always better when we come together in that stuff. Because when we're all alone, we have a tendency to run away from that stuff. Or even worse, we have less opportunity to engage with that stuff. 
It might not even look like running. It might just look like missing. God doesn't want you to run or miss who you are. And so this morning for our character that I want to jump into, uh, and you've heard me talk about the story of Jacob. Um, if you've been here for a couple months or weeks, maybe even a couple days or had coffee with me, it's my favorite story in all of scripture. Um, it's this beautiful, crazy story uh, of, of lies, of, of brotherly relationship, of wrestling, of all of these crazy things that hit all the high notes uh, for me. But who I want to focus on this morning is actually the character of Esau. So in the character of Jacob, or the story of Jacob and Esau, we got two brothers. They're twins. Um, and basically what happens is they give birth, and, and Esau comes out first, and then Jacob has grabbed the heel of Esau, and so that's why his name is Jacob. Now, I'm sorry for anyone in the crowd named Jacob. It also happens to mean liar. <laughs> so Jacob is named liar and heels, as he came on the heels, right? And Jacob um, is a much different person than his brother. If any of you grew up with siblings, you'll understand this dynamic that, like, it's so weird. We could all live under the same roof, eat the same food, be raised by the same people, and I could have two totally different worldviews. Uh, we have actual footage of what that looks like, and it's just this picture here. Perfect. <laughs> this is Jacob and Esau, or like a depiction of what we have, right? Jacob was known more as just sort of a, a very smart, like, intelligent kid, right? And then we've got Esau over here, who's more of like, I'm going to try out for the varsity football team at age nine, right? He's, he's a bigger guy. He's more burly. He loves to hunt. And his father just loves this about him. And he's the oldest kid. So he, in this point in history, is absolutely entitled uh, to his father's blessing, which basically means his whole inheritance. And not only that, just God's blessing over his life. That's his. But one day, as the story goes, Esau goes out on a big old hunt and gets really, really hungry. Have you ever been hungry enough that you've done something irrational to get food, <laughs> right? Like you, you've been hangry in a way that like, if I don't eat something right now, I'm gonna freak out. Well, Esau was probably on the tip of the top of that because basically Jacob saw this as an opportunity and he was cooking a stew and he tells this big burly brother, hey, if I give you this stew, you trade me your inheritance from it. You'd have to be very, very, very hungry for this to happen, right? But in this case, Esau says, yes, okay, fine, like, boom. Then Jacob, the help of his mother, comes up with this huge elaborate scheme to steal the inheritance from his father who's going blind. And so he puts on these kind of burly, coarse hairs on his arms, and he goes in and he takes advantage of his blind father, and the father ends up giving him the inheritance. Now, we tell this story kind of like it's a mythical fun, like, oh, that's really tense between these two brothers. The actual historical fact is that Esau now has every single right legally to either get his brother thrown in a jail cell or he can take his life. Because what's been taken from Esau in that religious and cultural day was his life. His future had just been stolen from him. And so what they believed was that was just as serious and paramount as your physical life here and now. To steal a blessing was a huge, huge, huge no-no. So Jacob, as we all do when we make a really, really, really large mistake, he decides, I've got two options. I could stay and I can fight. And as we can tell by this, that's not going to go too well for him. Or I can run. And so he flees and he gets on the run and he goes and he goes and he goes. 
And in the middle of that, there's one of my favorite stories of where he encounters God, and, and God says, and, and like, Jacob, I'm here, and he sees the ladder and all that kind of stuff. And then after this, he says the most profound verse, I think, that is all in Scripture, and he says, surely God was in this place, and I, I did not know. And the motto of my life is to walk around and just try and say that like my mantra. Surely God was in this place, and I didn't know. I wasn't aware of it. But the real star of this show and the real reason Jacob comes back into the fray and we get this narrative, we get this story, is Esau, his brother. Because what happens is Jacob gets older, he has a big family, and then he finally decides, you know what, enough is enough. I need to go and, and say I'm sorry to my brother. I need to make amends for what I've done. Knowing full well he could be walking into a fight. Walking into an entirely awful decision. But what happens is Jacob has this whole dark night of the soul. He wrestles with God. He sends his family across the river. And then he goes across the river to, him, to see his brother himself. And his brother does not come with a sword or anything like that. He runs towards him and embraces him and hugs him. The most powerful part about this story, the reason we have the story of Jacob, who then becomes Israel, is because his brother decided to forgive him. That forgiveness actually pushed this story forward. And this is just in Genesis 22, guys. You've got this whole huge book filled with all of these examples of forgiveness and how forgiveness is God's key characteristic. Did you know that two-thirds of what Jesus talks about is all about forgiveness? Two-thirds. Only 15% of what Jesus ever talks about is money. And we give a whole lot more credence to that in church. <laughs> Two-thirds of what he talks about is forgiveness. Because he sees that if we want to reconcile, if we want to move forward, if we want to support each other, forgiveness is the key in that. Because there are going to be moments where we feel so hurt that, no, I don't want to forgive. But if you did forgive, oh my goodness, what story might come later? What might you be doing for that person's life? And the perfect example of forgiveness is this prayer that we have, uh, that Jesus told us how to pray. When he was asked from his disciples, how do I pray? Jesus wrote this prayer with 66 words. The Gettysburg Address has 128 words. <laughs> so 66 choice, choice words. These are the words that Jesus wanted to get across because he wanted him to pray this as his disciples multiple times a day. He wanted to choose the right 66 words and hear the words that he decided to choose. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Do we have the next slide? Or is that okay? okay, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'd love to point out that if there's only going to be 66 words and you want to choose everything carefully, Jesus only repeats one twice, and that's the idea of forgiveness. Forgive us as we forgive others. And that word for debt there is, is, is very fascinating because in most Aramic languages which in which this was written in, debt is actually another word for sin. 
another word for hurt or something that you could really powerfully hurt someone with. Forgive those other people as we're forgiven. It's a double-edged sword. You really don't have the power to forgive others if you don't feel forgiven yourself. If you don't actually feel forgiven. But forgiveness takes reflection. And so that's what Bobby has been painting over here. We want to reflect on the idea of forgiveness uh, and what that means in our lives. And so to do that this morning, I want us to just take a couple minutes. We don't do a lot of stuff like this at Resonate. But I just want us to take a couple minutes before we take communion to just reflect on this beautiful prayer. We lost this somewhere along the path, but it used to be that the early church would pray this three times a day. Three times a day. I think we could take two minutes right now uh, and just reflect on it. So I'm going to ask Koda to come up. Um, and what I would just love to ask you to do, if you feel comfortable, is just maybe to bow your heads. And I'm just going to go through the Our Father line by line. And I just want to invite you to reflect. I'm going to leave like 20 seconds worth of space in between each line. Um, and I, I hope you'll use this as a chance to invite God uh, into what those words could mean for you especially in light of forgiveness. Ask God who there might be in your life that you maybe need to forgive. Ask God if you need to be forgiven for something. But just take this time and space uh, for yourself. So here, let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And I'll read that one one more time just for emphasis. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 